Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure to be here with you. The Greatest Games Podcast is a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about the greatest game they were a part of as a coach. As always, we don't put any limits. It could be their time as a head coach, assistant coach, CYO coach, whatever they want. Just the game they consider to be their greatest game. Well, Chris, I'm excited to welcome in our guest for today, our second college coach coming to us from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I think I said it right, from Middle Tennessee State University. Just finished his second year there as an assistant coach, Coach Sean Dixon. Welcome in, Coach. I appreciate you having me, Brian. Good to, good to see you, Chris. Uh, Murfreesboro, I think you did get that right. You got to say it quickly, get that second R in there, Murfreesboro. Uh, and so it's, it's good to be here. They, they really sneak that second R in there, don't they? It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I had to just add some water with some lemon in it, so it made it a little bit more doubly, doubly tough for me to say that. <laughs> I can't imagine what the business card looks like for someone that works at Middle Tennessee State University Blue Raiders. Like it just <laughs> – that's like 45 letters. I guess that's why you just go MTSU. Short and just say Middle Tennessee, and hope, hopefully everybody kind of knows where you're coming from. Uh, but, yeah, if you, if you have to go through the whole deal, it, it gets pretty long. <laughs> and if you live in Tennessee, you can just say middle. If you're yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Middle, is it, is it really? So is it one of those kind of for us? And, and when I say Carolina, I'm, of course, talking about South Carolina, but you go a little bit north. You say, oh, you mean North Carolina? So is that what it is in, in Tennessee? If you say middle, that, that everybody knows what you're talking about? Yeah, oh, yeah. If you're in Tennessee and you say middle, everybody does know. Uh, now, once you get outside a little bit, you got to kind of say middle Tennessee or NTSU. Uh, and usually people kind of know what you're talking about. But in the state, you know, middle, middle will definitely work. Wow. Uh, you would learn something new every day. So go, <laughs> go try that out. You know, Mur- Murfreesboro. And I see I didn't say it right that time, but I'm just going to keep rolling. Out. Yeah, but I left that second R out. But I tell you what, it's near Nashville. I just learned that. It's about a half hour from one of my favorite cities in the world. So I might have to get up there here soon and uh, try that middle and see how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah when, you, when you come, let me know. I'll, I'll definitely meet you in Nashville. Great okay. City. All right. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll do it. I might fly in. <laughs> I'm really excited about this, this one, Brian, because this is really the first coach we've had on that neither one of us really know. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've known Sean for a couple of years, you know, and then, you know, Sean, we got introduced to Sean through our, our good friend, Brett Carey, when he was at UNC Asheville, they were winning and winning tons of games and championships up there in Asheville. And so gotten to hang out with Sean a little bit, but yeah, I'm excited to get to know him a little bit more today. He has to work for Nick McDevitt, so I feel bad for him. <laughs> We're trying to get Nick on the show, Chris. Are we really? I love him. Of course. Yes. Nick's a great guy. Yeah, he is. I mean that. I'm not just saying that to get him on the show. One of the all-time greats. I'll, I'll make sure I'll make sure to give him a shout and try to get him on here for you guys. There you go. So, Sean, take us through uh, your resume there as a coach, as a player into a coach, and, and where you've been along the way. Yeah, well, I, I played at Presbyterian College uh, under Greg Nybert. Uh, my last year there was the last year of Division II. Uh, so when I, when I graduated, went back home. I'm, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Went back home, uh, got a real job. Um, wasn't ready for that, but did get a real job. Had to, had to pay a few bills. My parents were still kind of helping me out a little bit, but I had a cell phone, had a car. You know, I had to pay some, some of those things. Uh, I was in the financial services industry. Uh, and it, it was cool, you know, doing stock market and, and, and mutual funds and all that kind of stuff, uh, but was lucky to get back in. Um, we, we transitioned from Division Two to Division One. We added uh, staff members. Um, and Coach 
uh, had one of his, his, his new assistants uh, got a, another job. He, he left in year two. He called me and wanted me to come back. Uh, and so I did it without hesitation. Uh, uh, another assistant on staff was actually my roommate. He stayed after we graduated, just, you know, didn't go back home. He stayed there at Presbyterian, got on staff. He's now the head coach there, Quentin Farrell. Uh, so I went back. Uh, we roomed up again. Uh, this time I went in a dorm. We were in a house. Uh, so we were rooming together in, in a house. Uh, and I was at Presbyterian for four years. Uh, that's where I met Nick. He was an assistant at Asheville. We were obviously in the same league. Uh, so we, we got to know each other, being on the road together, uh, coaching against each other within you know, league play. He got the job, called me, uh, asked if I'd be interested in coming over to Asheville with him. Uh, and for me, it was a no-brainer. You know, they were kind of the cream of the crop, them and Winthrop, uh, in our league. Uh, and so, you know, obviously making an in-league move is kind of, you know, dangerous at times. You know, you don't always do that, but this is one I couldn't turn down. So, so join Nick, uh, was there for five years, uh, had some success there, won the league a couple times. Um, and then we got the, uh, we were fortunate enough to get the job at middle, uh, just finished our second year uh, going into year three. Now, uh, how did you – I was going to ask a question. I totally blanked on it. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we bring to the table here with this show, Sean. We, <laughs> we tee up good questions and then we forget them. <laughs> I was going to ask a question about you going from Presbyterian to uh, middle, but, I mean, from Presbyterian to Asheville, Asheville. you kind of said it. Uh, Presbyterian, for those of you not from the South – one of the great nicknames, the Blue Hose. Blue Hose. <laughs> yes. I have no idea what it means, but I know they are the Presbyterian Blue Hose. Yeah, the, the, the Blue Hose is actually a stocking like that the Scottish Warriors wear. So, so yeah. our mascot is actually the Scottish Warrior, uh, but he's wearing blue hose, blue stockings. Right. Okay. I lived there for 10 years in South Carolina. I knew they were the Blue Hose, and I never knew why. <laughs> I mean, it was just an education all over the place today. There, there you go. You learn something new every day. Sean, we need to set up a call at least once a week for me and you to talk because I've learned about saying middle in Tennessee, and that'll, 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 that will be middle Tennessee State. Now I've learned what blue hose is. I've, I've lived here all my life in South Carolina. I never knew that, so thank you for that. <laughs> Not a problem. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, let's go ahead and jump into some, some Q&A here with Sean and um, your journey through playing college basketball and now moving up into the upper levels of college basketball as an assistant. It's a fascinating one. I tell you what, what really I'm, – I'm curious because I've, I've never talked to you about this, but what led you to really becoming and wanting to become a coach? Obviously, you were, you were very successful as a player, all league a couple of times. Um, so what was it about getting into coaching that, that really – what was it that, that really – uh, led you down that road? Uh, you know, obviously there's a love for the game, uh, love basketball, and I love to compete. I uh, didn't know that I wanted to coach because when, when we were making that transition and we were kind of uh, going toward getting into the end of our senior year after season was over, coach did approach me uh, and Q at the same time and kind of asked, you know, do you guys want to stay on staff and want to have guys that know our system, have been here, uh, and obviously the money wasn't great. Didn't mention that part, but he had to get some young guys because the money was, was awful. Uh, and for me, it was kind of like when you leave your parents' house, you know, at 18, you, you're ready to get out. You know, Coach Nyberg, he's, he's a, he's a hard-nosed, tough dude, and he'll tell you that himself. And so playing for him for four years and being his point guard, you know, he's really tough on, on, on his point guards. And I was, you know, for me, I, I was thinking, no way. <laughs> there, there, there's no way I'm getting out of Clinton. I'm not doing it, you know, whatever. Uh, so my, my younger brother, when I went home, my younger brother was, was uh, at the local college. He was at Kennesaw State playing at Kennesaw State. I started working some of those guys out and just kind of noticed I, I, I missed it. 
Um, and I just, I really got lucky because at the time, if I had known how hard it was to get into the profession, I would have said yes right away when he asked me. Um, but I got lucky. Uh, he called me a second time and I, you know, I told him yes, you know, right away. Didn't even know what the money was, really didn't even care. Uh, got up there and it wasn't much, but uh, I was able to get my foot in the door at a division one level. Uh, and now being in it for 11 years, I know how hard that is and, and how fortunate and, and lucky I was uh, for him to call me back and be able to get in uh, kind of as easy as I did uh, just by, you know, playing for coach and, and, and him having confidence uh, in me that I, I would be able to help him, you know, being on the staff. I'm muted there. Sorry. I'm having all kinds of issues today. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I was over here hitting my, my volume. I didn't know. I saw someone yeah. on my computer. <laughs> it's just the worst show ever. Uh, Brian, Kennesaw State is uh, named after the Kennesaw Mountain, Battle of Kennesaw Mountain, great Civil War battle, one of the bloodiest of the Civil War. You should look it up. Okay, you're just, I mean, we're just giving you this history. I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I, I'd never say that <laughs> word. I just, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself today. This is unbelievable. Thank you guys. Um, <laughs> Sean, expand on that dynamic of going back to be a coach so young at your alma mater. Like you said, um, were there players there that you had played with? And what was it like coaching them? And what was it like with Coach Nybert? Like the first time you wanted to, like, interject something or disagree with him about something was that difficult to do uh the disagree part wasn't too difficult did, did a lot of that when i was a player uh and, and, and ran a lot for doing that so I, I was i was used to disagreeing uh so that was that was pretty that was pretty easy uh, but but just being there uh and being a coach for him was different because he still kind of viewed you as a, as a player and we were still very young uh and, and to answer your question there were guys on the team that we played with you know our best player was a guy that we hosted on his official visit you know me and q hosted him on his official visit as players um so that that was a little different you know dynamic because you've hung out with those guys outside of basketball you've done all type of stuff with them uh and now it's kind of like you know you, you want to have a good relationship with them but, but there's some limits on that on that relationship uh so that that was different uh and that lasted you know probably two or three years kind of once all the guys we knew you know got through there and graduated um but, but coach was really good. You know, he, he gave us some responsibility. Coach is more of a guy that kind of likes to do it all himself. He started at a, at a, uh, a lower level himself to where he didn't really have assistance, you know, at the NAIA level. Uh, so he was just so used to doing all the work himself. Uh, it took him some time, I think, to uh, start, you know, kind of passing out some responsibilities. Um, but, but, you know, he let us, he let us grow, uh, kind of let us do our thing when it came to recruiting because we were younger, we related to guys uh, on that level. Um, and, you know, I was really just using the time I just got in. I was using the time to really learn and see, you know, how coach approached every day, you know, preparing for practice, preparing for a game. Uh, and then when the timing was right, you know, probably two or three years in, uh, he started, you know, allowing me to do scouting reports and things like that after I had kind of really studied him in, in that area. Uh, so I think I learned a lot from him. Uh, those first four years of, of, of coaching because as a player, you really just don't pay attention to, to all those things. Uh, and he did, a, he did an unbelievable job of, of preparing and being overprepared a lot of times uh, when it came to our opponents. Hey, we were talking before we hit record about your journey, again, starting out at PC, like you're talking about, going to UNC Asheville and now at Middle Tennessee State, where the resources now are uh, a little more readily available. So. Um, Talk to us about that 
uh, journey from maybe doing things, you know, maybe not having a film guy when you first started out to now having a full-time film guy and how those lessons early on are now paying off at a, at a university that does have more resources. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, obviously being at Presbyterian, even at, at Asheville, we didn't have a director of ops at Presbyterian definitely didn't have a director of ops. Uh, I was considered a part-time employee. So really we didn't even have enough money to have full-time staff, you know, assistance. Uh, but we, we had full-time responsibilities. Uh, and so um, you, you have to do a little bit of everything. You know, you're doing stuff for, in the summertime, you're doing stuff for camp. You're getting stuff ready for your summer camps, uh, your individual and your team camps. Uh, and then when the season starts, um, you're, you're not just scouting games. You know, you're obviously doing the basic stuff that uh, assistants do in scouting games and recruiting, but you're also doing, you know, you're doing film exchange. Uh, you're helping with scheduling. Uh, you're doing a lot of a lot of the things that, you know, once you move up to a higher level, uh, you just don't have on your plate because you have, like you said, the resources and the budget, uh, the operating budget to pay, uh, you know, staff uh, to do those things. So you learn a lot. Uh, you learn how to how to navigate with a lot on your plate. Uh, and then it also helps you once you move to those different levels, because now, now you can kind of mentor other guys and tell them, like, this, this is how you're supposed to, you know, do this, because I've actually, you know, I've, I've had to do these things. Uh, so it helps you once you once you move on uh, to, you know, you're in a spot where you don't have to do those on a daily basis. I just realized your athletic director is Chris Massaro. Yeah, South Carolina guy. Yeah, South Carolina guy. He was, I know Chris well when I was, when he was in South Carolina before he went to middle. It yeah, just yeah. hit me. He's been there a long time now. He's done a good job there. Yeah, it's great, great guy. You know, he he always pops in the offices and, and says hello. You know, he has a great relationship with his coaches. Uh, but but he, he brought does. he brought Coach Stock still there for football. He did. Who he did, did really well. And uh, yeah, okay. I just uh, that all of a sudden sprung on me. So um, you've been in some smaller schools, but I know you guys played bigger schools. Um, you know, at a conference and things like that. Who's the best player you coached against? Oh man, um, you know we've like you said we we at, at Presbyterian we were like the road warrior. They they wrote a big article on us, called us the road warriors because we had to play before we were actually officially a part of the Big South. We had to play twenty five road games, and we were just bringing money in uh, for the department for our program. Um, so we played a little bit of everybody. We played Sam Decker and, and Kaminsky when they were at Wisconsin. I would play Austin Rivers when he was at when he was at Duke. Uh, Jacob Pullen, I don't know if you remember him. He was at Kansas State. Kansas State, yeah, yeah, great player. Uh, so we played. I mean, we we played uh, Jabari Parker when he was at Duke. Uh, so we played a lot of those guys, but they were they were not close games. So uh, Evan Turner, that's another one. He won Player of the Year. We played him at Ohio State, uh, but they weren't close games. So you really didn't get a good feel for how good that guy was. So the best player that that I'll say uh, played at at Campbell University, this is when I was at at at, uh, at, at Asheville. Chris Clemens, right? Yeah, uh, he put us out of the tournament one year. He scored fifty one points in the Big South tournament game. Uh, we were we were the number one seed. We had won the regular season. Uh, we had done a good job on them during during the regular season. Uh, our kind of defensive stopper on the perimeter got sick. He had something going on with his throat, so he didn't play. Uh, and Chris took full advantage of that, and he scored fifty one. And obviously, you know led him to the upset over us in the, in the, in that tournament game. So I, I would say he's probably the best player and he's now on the NBA roster, you know, playing with the, the Houston Rockets. So he's probably the best player that I really got a good feel, uh, 40 strong minutes and he scored 51 on us. <laughs> 
that's a strong 40 minutes, no doubt. (laughs) I like the way you broke that down though, right? Like you didn't get to see how good an Evan Turner or Frank Kaminsky was because they didn't have to exert maximum effort again. Yeah. They they played, you know, 18, 19 minutes in the game. It was a, it was a 40 point loss, you know, at Presbyterian, we weren't really competing at that time. Uh, So we, we did have some good wins at Presbyterian, uh, but early on, you know, it, it, it was a struggle. I remember that game. I remember following that game on the ESPN app. And college basketball is a great time for me because I've got friends everywhere that are coaching, so I'll get more alerts during the day. And I kept getting alerts about that game. I'm like, what is going on up there? And seeing Clemens and he finished with 51, I'm like, what happened? You know, so like, we don't we don't want to talk about that game anymore. So let's <laughs> let's let's get to some positivity here. You know, coach, you know the, the the name of the podcast is the greatest game. So if, we would love to hear about the greatest game or greatest games that you've ever been a part of as a player or as a coach and any background information maybe why it's so special to you yeah yeah sure I I, I thought about it uh and like I said we did have some good wins at Presbyterian so I did want to mention them uh we beat Wake Forest and Auburn in the same week at Presbyterian and then our our biggest win that was probably against Cincinnati they were ranked 23rd in the country I believe went on the road and beat Cincinnati at Presbyterian but that was a road game so it really wasn't you know the crowd atmosphere wasn't you know what you have at home game so the best game was a regular season game at Asheville uh, we're playing Winthrop, which is obviously a big rivalry. And Big South is kind of like Duke, North Carolina, uh, if you will. Uh, they had beaten us the first meeting uh, that year uh, by 376 to 73. We missed the three to send it to overtime at their place. So fast forward to February, we're playing them for the second time, you know, in conference play. We're both 10 and 2. Uh, we're both tied for first at 10 and 2. So, you know, we feel if we win this game, we got a good chance because we know what the rest of our, our uh, schedule looks like. We got a good chance to win the league um, and, and, and be first, you know, going into the tournament, first seed in the tournament. So we, we start the game. First half is kind of what it is. Both teams, best players are, uh, are, are playing well. Um, our best, our best player, I'll take it, our best player was struggling. He had two points in the first half. Ahmad Thomas, uh, who ended up being first, first team all conference that year, uh, defensive player of the year, had two points in the first half. Uh, but we hit a buzzer beater to end the half uh, to go down one uh, in the halftime. So it's 35, 34, I believe. Uh, at halftime. So it's got the makings of a good game. The crowd was into it. I think it, I ended up looking at the box score. We had like 2,800 at the game. I think our, our arena held like 3,200. So close to like a sellout. Uh, you know, it's on ESPN. You know, you don't get nationally televised games very often in the Big South. So we're on ESPN, close to a sellout. Uh, two teams, 10 and 2, retired for first. Um, and, and it's 35, 34 and a half. Um, so we're trying to make some adjustments, you know, at, at Asheville, we did a lot of things defensively, one, three, one, you know, we did one, two, two press. We had a three, two zone at the time we switched stuff. So we're, we're kind of doing everything and they're, they're scoring on everything. Uh, they took us out of our one, three, one early, you know, Pat Kelsey, he's obviously a great coach. He throws a lot of, you know, first time we go into our one, three, one defense. So we're kind of on the bench scared to go back to it because he obviously has all the stuff prepared, you know, for the one, three, one, because it, it hurt them, you know, at their place early season. So we've, we've kind of, you know, playing man to man, their best player coming into the game was two for 27, the last two matchups that we had against him. So he's two for 27 to make a long story short, he ends up scoring 40 in this game. He scores 40. Uh, he breaks their all time scoring record in our game. Uh, so there was just a lot of, you know, there was a lot that that happened in the game, uh, and it really got interesting. That's in the in the second half, late in the second half, that led to double overtime. Both teams scored in a hundred, you know, hundred points, 
Uh, we end up winning, but in the second half with two minutes to go, uh, we're down, I think, 68 to 63, uh, or 67, 63, I believe it was, with two minutes to go. Um, we get an offensive rebound, our, our, our worst free throw shooter. We get an offensive rebound. He shoots 50% from the, from the free throw line. He goes, he goes to the free throw line, knocks both down. So now it's 67, 65. That enables us to get into our press. So we're pressing. Uh, they turn it over, cross in half, throw it ahead to Ahmad. He dunks one, you know, kind of a – I wouldn't say it's a, it's a poster dunk, but, it, but a guy kind of jumps, so he, he, he dunks one. Crowd goes crazy. So now it's tied 67, 67. Uh, I think with maybe uh, a minute and a half, minute and a half to go. So they call a timeout. They get the ball in, call a timeout, try to quiet the crowd, crowd down. So they're taking it out. They had advanced it a little bit, taking it out right before – uh, right behind half court. And I think, I think their guard was confused because a timeout resets the 10-second count. Uh, but there was 22 seconds on the clock. So he, tried, he gets it and tries to just fly up, get past half. Well, he turns it over as he does it. So he turns it over. We go back down, and we don't get a transition bucket, but we go down and we throw it into a mod again because he's feeling it at this point. You know, like I said, he, didn't, he had two points at the 17-minute mark in the second half. We took him out, got all over him. He ends up scoring 26. So he scores 24 points over the next 26 minutes. So now we're at this like a minute left in the game. Throw it to Ahmad. He gets an and one basket. We go up 70 to 67. Uh, they, come, they come down. Um, Keon Johnson hits a step back three. Okay, they break the, we break the press. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We broke the press. They hit it to the corner. That's what it was. Broke the press. We stayed in our press. We just forced two turnovers. Broke the press. They hit the corner. Quick three. So now the game's tied 77. 70 to 70. We go back and forth. Uh, 72, 72. Now this is when Keon comes down and hits a step back three to put them up. 75, 72. So there's, there's about 30 seconds left to play. We go down, quickly shoot a quick three. We get the offense rebound. Will Weeks gets the offense rebound again. The guy that got one earlier that made the free throws. He kicks out. They foul. Three-point shooter. So they foul a three-point shooter. Uh, there's, there's about 18 seconds to play. No, no, no. I'm sorry. There's about 10 seconds to play. Foul three-point shooter. He makes the first two, misses the third. So we're up one. We're up one with about eight seconds. They get the rebound. We foul immediately. He goes down and makes two free throws. So now they're up three. We call timeout. There's five seconds to play. We run our little play to kind of get our guard, catch it on the run, get it up as fast as you can. So Macy O.T., who's now at Baylor, uh, he was a freshman this year. He has hit some big shots. I think he had 20-20 game. He catches it on the run, is dribbling up the left side of the court, goes behind his back once he passes half court. As he does, the guard that's guarding him, he kind of tries to reach. So he pulls it over. He, he steps through and then shoots a three off of a, off of a step through, like, crazy move. But he ends up being wide open because the guy kind of reached. So he has a, a, a great look at it, knocks it down about 30, about 30 feet out. So that sends it to overtime. Places just going absolutely, you know, nuts, <laughs> going nuts. We thought, it, we thought it was over, you know, whatever. So then we're in, we're in OT, kind of back and forth, uh, up until the two-and-a-half, about the two-and-a-half minute mark is when OT gets, gets crazy. We're up 81 to 80. And the reason I remember this play is because uh, I had the scout and we knew they ran this play based on a bounds play against our two, three zone. We do two, three zone based on a bounds and they line up three guys, you know, across the free throw line. So we only have two out there and they just screen, they just screen out the middle guy pops back behind, they throw it over top. 
So they do that. They run that play. We get screened out like we never we never scouted it. They throw over top, hits the three. So they go up at that point, 83 to 81. So we come down. Uh, I believe we hit a three. It's 84-83. There's a, there's a minute left. Uh, a minute left to go. Um, I think they go down, hit a layup. And so we come back, hit a layup. It's 88 to 87, right? There's 30 seconds left. Keon Johnson gets the ball again. He comes down, step back three on Macy OT. Now it's 90 to 88. So now we, we, it's just roller coaster of emotions, ups and downs. Now we think we're, we, we've lost, you know, we've lost this game. Well, Maceo comes down. We set a high ball screen for him. He shoots a three behind the ball screen. Ahmad tip dunks it. So that's basically kind of at the, at the buzzer. There's five seconds left. They don't get a shot up, but he tip dunks it to, to, to send the second overtime. So it's 90 90. So then we go into second overtime. We get up 90, 98, 92. There's like a minute 50 to go, and we're, we're thinking, like, okay, it's over. You know, this is this, this is done. Well, we, we go to our one three one. We hadn't done it, you know, since like like that first possession where they threw a dunk, you know, through the live, got the dunk. We go back to it, it's giving them trouble. Well, the second time down, 98-82, Keon Johnson kind of dribbles through it, makes a three, um, and it's ninety, it's ninety-eight, ninety-five. We go down, um, this is towards the end of the end of the game, about a minute left. We try to run the clock down and try to get a shot up. We miss we miss that shot. Keon comes back down. Hits another three. So now it's 99, 99, 98 at that point. Yeah, it's 99, 98 at that point. So we come back. It's 30 seconds left in this game. We come back. Uh, and at this point, Keon had made 14 straight points. And he just hit his 40th point. So we come, we come back down. Uh, Maceo drives, set a high ball screen. Maceo drives, and it's a bang bang play. It looks like a charge when you when you show it when they show it on Sports Center. It looks like a complete charge. I remember Scott Van Pelt talking saying it was a charge. They call a block. The ball rolls in. He's not even looking. He runs over the guy, throws it up. Ball goes in. Okay, and one basket. We go up at this point. Uh, they drew back down, missed the shot, and that was actually end up being the game the game winner at that point. So Maceo makes a. Uh, a, a charge block call and one basket uh, to win the game. We ended up winning 104 to 101, uh, and it was just crazy. Like I said, Keon broke the record that game for uh, all-time biggest score at Winthrop. He scores 40. Uh, he had 14 straight at one point. Ahmad scores uh, 24 over the next 26 minutes in the second half. You know, we had to hit a crazy three to send it to overtime. It was it was unbelievable. We made, you know, sports center top 10. It was just a crazy, a crazy game. We actually did go on to win, you know, regular season, you know, that year. So it was a, it was a big game at a pivotal point, you know, in our year. That's by far the best description of a game I've ever heard in my entire life. 100%. He knew everything that happened. But I, my, my favorite part, there were, every time there was a new favorite part, so there's like eight of them. But my most favorite part was you actually admitted that your guy committed a charge. Oh, it, it, it when you watch, the, you're the first coach in the history of basketball to ever admit that. Yeah, yeah. Now you have to, you got to be honest. When you watch it in slow motion, it looks like a, it looks like a chart. It looked like he, he slid over, feet were set. Now during the during the course of the game, it, it's it's so fast, and I'm and we were home, so you know the refs sometimes you get that home you get that home court advantage. I, I love that part that he admitted his guy actually found. Yeah. <laughs> no coach has ever admitted that. I don't know. It's both certainly a rarity. Now, if I remember, Keon Johnson, undersized guard, correct? About about five seven, five eight. Is that right? Yeah, un- un- undersized guard. And okay. to end the game, he so he had, he had made like three different 
threes off the dribble to, at, at crucial parts of the game to either tie the game, give him the lead. They gave him the ball at the end of the game, and Maceo actually block, ended up blocking a step, another step-back three attempt uh, to end that game for us. Uh, so so Maceo caught on finally uh, <laughs> after he had 40, said, I'm going to stay up, you know, I'm going to stay in him a little bit and try to contest this step-back three. And then, you know, he won the game. Uh, after 40, he was like, all right, now I'm going to lock him up now, coach. <laughs> um, I, I love the part, too, where you talked about scouting the play and they run the exact play and your guys act like they've never seen it before. Yeah, it was a great call, though, because it, it, it was in the first overtime uh, and ha- he hadn't run it the whole game. Uh, but they had gotten it on us the, the previous uh, meeting at their place. So it was, it was something based on our balance that's really they kind of all they ran because against a 2-3, we kind of switch everything out, make them throw over top, and then, that, you know, we're back, we're set. So that's really kind of the only thing they had all game. They were just kind of throwing it in, throwing it in. And I guess he felt it was a good time to run it, and, and he was right. Were you up screaming like a good assistant coach? Oh, oh absolutely. Now they, we, they were on the other end. Oh, they were on okay. the other end, though. So I don't know if they heard. Y'all, y'all had some dudes. Now I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of UNC Asheville when y'all were there. But Amaya Thomas is one of my favorites. Is a six three, six four. Again, just kind of I don't want to say undersized, but I know he was probably listed as a guard. But he he had to guard post players a lot for you guys. Super long arms. If I remember right, he was at the top of that one three one. That he was he was heck to deal with at the top of that deal. And so that that's oh, yeah. to me the big South and the, that level of basketball is so much fun because like you talk about. Keon Johnson, we were talking about Clemens earlier, which I don't want to bring that game up, but I just did apparently. And now I'm, you know, I'm at Thomas that are, you know, a little bit undersized, but freakishly athletic and just go out and make plays. And that's what really makes it fun when they get, when y'all get to the NCAA tournament and, you know, taking Syracuse to the, to the wire when you, you know, so it's just like yeah. those, those things can happen with those kind of guys. It's really a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's always guys in, in the Big South. And, and now with how transfers are these days, they don't, they don't end up staying, you know, for four years but there's always guys in that league that were for whatever reason under recruited uh that end up being really good they'll they'll have a great pro career or or like Keon they'll break records while while they're there uh you know a a mod set records you know at at Asheville for being you know one of the only guys that have so many points rebounds steals and things like that uh and while he was there you know we led the country in steals one year uh, top five another year just and, and a lot of it was because of him like you said at the top of that one three one top of our one two two press his long arms I mean he's getting deflections and, and, and just causing you know a lot of chaos uh, on the defensive end so you know you can definitely find some players at that level yeah it was actually Brett Carey who we were having a discussion one time years ago when he was working in South Carolina and he was saying you know because he had played at Western and at Asheville and he was telling me he goes listen he goes there are guards in those leagues that can play in the SEC. He goes, where, they, where you get beat in those games playing the bigger schools is the big guys. Is, yeah. You know, you, don't, you guys don't have 6'10 creatures, you know, that. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that, is, that is the big difference. You know, I think that's, that's the kind of the case of anywhere uh, when you talk about guard play. Um, there's, I guess there's just so many um, that, you know, that are available that every – Every league and every level has really good guards. You know, Winthrop for a while, their best players were Division II guys that transferred up. You know, when we were at Asheville, uh, they had two or three guys that transferred from the Division II level. Obviously, they that belonged on the Division I level because they were first-team all-commerce guys at Winthrop, so they probably could have played a little higher level than the, the Big South. 
Um, so at every level, you know, you're going to find really, really good guards. And we, we were able to do that at Asheville, you know, with Andrew Rousey. Um, we had Dylan Smith, Dwayne Sutton, those are two guys that transferred out to Louisville and, and Arizona. And then Macy O.T. came after them. He's obviously at Baylor now. Uh, so we, we had some, some really good players uh, at Asheville. And that's really what it's about. When you want to win games, you got to have, got to have good players. Yeah, that you know, there was a, a run here where I coached in Bergen County, New Jersey. We had a bunch of little guards at a bunch of some of the better schools here. And, you know, like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, guys who were scoring 25, 26 a game. And people are going, well, why aren't they getting recruited by this school and this school? I said, guys, there's hundreds of guys 5'10", that can score 25 points a game in a high school game. Like, Absolutely. if he's 6'3", if he's now you got something, right. you know, but at 5'10", there's a million of them. That's right. That's right. And, and, and a lot of times, if you evaluate, you know, if you do a good job of evaluating those guys, uh, which, which Campbell really did with Chris Clemens, and the crazy thing is, uh, like you said, I admitted the, the charge. Uh, I'll admit a recruiting mistake. Uh, Chris Clemens is from the state of North Carolina. We had him on uh, campus at Elite Camp, uh, and, and we just said, I don't know, man. I think he's just too small. Uh, but he but he proved us wrong, you know. Like I said, he had a, had a game against us, scored fifty one, and he's a pro. So we kind of missed on that one. We had Luke Mbamute on campus one weekend at South Carolina <laughs> with Bryce Sheldon, and we got Bryce Sheldon, and UCLA got Mbamute. Yeah, <laughs> now, Bryce yeah. was good for us. Bryce was excellent three point shooter, but just one of those things, right? You're like, oh God, we should have. If we had him, we'd be better. <laughs> It's, uh, it's it's so hard. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to wrap it up, but go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, but it's it's so hard because you know we 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 talked about this on previous shows here, but just with with South Carolina basketball, there's a ton of talent in state, and then um, it's it's we we see you know John Morant that goes to Murray State, and it's like everybody here is like, well, why didn't you know bigger schools in South Carolina take a chance on him? It's just like it's just it's so hard. Like you just say, Chris Clemens. It's like how do you? And I don't I don't know the answer to this, and, and maybe, maybe there is an answer, but I don't know how you you take chances on kids. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all, a, it's all a chance anyway, right? That's what recruiting is really. Just do the best it, you can. It, it, it is. You, you got to do your, do your best in, in trying to evaluate and know what you need for your team uh, and, and who can play for your head coach, uh, who kind of fits your system. And, and for us, uh, we just recruited bigger guards because we knew we wanted to play in the one, three, one. We knew we wanted to press and be in a one, two, two. And so we needed guys with length and size that could, you know, help create turnovers on the defensive end. And, and then obviously when we were in man to man, we switched a lot of stuff and we just felt, you know, smaller guards wouldn't fit our system. Uh, and so I think, you know, as an assistant at any level or wherever you're at, that's, that's the biggest key. Does the guy you're, you're recruiting, does he fit your system? Because you don't want to recruit a kid and then have to change everything just to fit that one guy. Uh, if you do that, he, he better be like LeBron, you know, somebody like that that can take you to a championship on their own. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I think that's a, that's a good way of looking at it. You have to evaluate what fits what you want to do. And I think that's – I think you also said another key thing, like who can play for your head coach? Yep. Their temperaments match up. That's right. That's right. I think the locker room, having a good locker room uh, and, and, and having your head coach be comfortable – uh, coaching the guys that you that you bring in, uh, that's a huge key. 
Uh, you don't want your head coach to have to uh, always, you know, be kind of coddling to a guy or babysitting a guy uh, when he has too much on his plate as far as preparing for games. I mean, he's doing things, interviews and things like that, uh, fundraising and things like that. So you don't want to bring guys in that are locker room problems uh, unless you, you, you know, unless you have a head coach that is really good at doing that. Uh, and some, some guys are. Uh, but you got to know what, what your head coach succeeds with and, and, and try your best to bring those type of personalities into the locker room. All right, Coach, this is how we like to wrap it up. Now, if I asked a player that played for you at Presbyterian, you know, back 10, 12 years ago, and I asked a player that plays for you now, what's the one thing they would say? Coach Dixon always says this, like a phrase or an instruction or something that they, you know, when they're sitting around doing their Coach Dixon impersonation. Wow. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty level-headed guy. I'm a pretty level-headed guy. If they're if they're gonna do an impersonation, I don't I don't know if it's a phrase, but but when when I guess when you when I get to that point of of kind of no return, I, I I go a little I go a little crazy. I go a little crazy in the locker room. Uh, and and there's there's a time at Asheville, and it might have been another Winthrop game. Uh, I had a clipboard. We were losing. It was my scout. Uh, we were losing, and I was I was. Very upset. So we go in, the, we go in the, uh, the locker room at halftime. And usually, you know, I'm pretty good. Nick does his thing. I just sit there, you know, whatever. I'm going to talk to a guy on the side, whatever. And I just I couldn't hold it in anymore. So I say, Coach, can I say something? And I just go, I go crazy. But I have a clipboard in my hand. And so while I'm talking, I'm hitting the clipboard. And I'm hitting the, the, the top silver part, you know, the, the actual clip. And it's, it, it cut my hand. I didn't know because I'm just fired up. And as I'm hitting, I'm slinging blood. All over the place. We get, we get done with the halftime speech, and there is blood all over the whiteboard. There's blood all over the floor. My suit pants, there's blood all over my suit pants. And I get out, and I go to the coach's locker room, and I'm like, what? I, you know, I'm looking down, like, what is all this on my, on my pants? And I'm followed by our trainer. He's coming in. He has, like, you know, uh, Band-Aids and little gals and all kind of stuff. He's about to wrap my finger. He's like, I think you need to. You need to get wrapped up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I look down and, and sure enough, I had cut my, my, my finger was, was split open. I go back into the locker room and I see there's blood all over the place. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a really good one. I wonder yeah, if that's, so that's, the same that's one they talk about a lot. <laughs> so, so Brett Carey, when he was on this show with us a week or two ago, told us about a, a winter game. They were, uh, you guys were down big at the half and uh, came storming back. And, I, it, and now, now it, it, it gives me a fuller picture of that story, if that's, if that's the same game, that exactly. blood in the locker room and then putting in the press that y'all put in the second <laughs> half on the floor. Tell you what, it might, it might have been the blood that uh, was the catalyst there. I don't it, know. It might have been because that that's actually the same, the same game where we were, were sitting in the timeout and nothing is working. There's absolutely nothing working. Uh, we really hadn't even put a press in in practice. Uh, and, and Brett's like, I mean, we don't have enough time to keep sitting back here in our half court deep. We got we got, we got, to start pressing, you know, and trapping off the first pass. So sure enough, we do it, and they just start – I mean, they just start turning the ball over. <laughs> we make a huge run. You know, we come back and, and, and win the game. So I don't know if it was the blood or, or the press, uh, but that was another crazy, you know, went through, you know, rivalry game. One, one quick follow-up important question. Did we get the blood out of the suit? <laughs> yeah yeah I okay was able, i was able to get the blood out of the suit uh took it to the cleaner uh and when it came back it was it was it was spotless so and then that's a that's a good thing because you know at the time you're not making great money you, you can't afford to be buying, 
Your suits. Yeah. <laughs> Those suits got to last. <laughs> you got like a three or four suit rotation, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Well, Sean Dixon, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And uh, I tell you what, uh, I would encourage fans to follow along with you on social media and everybody at Middle Tennessee State basketball. Y'all got great things on the horizon up there. And again, just can't thank you enough for for coming on the show with us today. You know, I, I truly appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you guys having me. Uh, and like I said, I'm going to spread the word. This is a great thing you guys are doing. The concept is, is great. Uh, so I'm going to spread the word and, and get some more guys on here. I tell you what, and you set the bar really high about storytelling too. That was the, I think that was by far the, the greatest storytelling ability that we've heard telling the, the, the greatest game. So we appreciate that too. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Again, yeah, I appreciate you for having me on. Yeah. So for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I'm Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. Mm-hmm.